When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? They are blind dates with books where you can buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author. It's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked up for yourself. Book Riot is giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local indie store in Richmond and pick five books at random off their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and signed up, sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter. And this newsletter will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That is bookriot.com slash blind date to enter or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a book riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukara, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. Recording this week's episode on Saturday, October 12th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Uh, I am cold, but excited to record the podcast. We It has gotten uh, extremely cold in the Midwest, as you are aware, and mm-hmm. our... Okay, so this feels like a proactive thing that we can talk about to our listeners. <laughs> so uh, you might have forgotten about your furnace over the summer, of course, because you don't need it. But it seems like it is maybe a good idea before it gets cold to have it checked out because <laughs> we have discovered that ours needs some repair work. So <gasps> no. I know, I know, I know. So uh, we are currently waiting for the uh, – meeting the people in my building – for the furnace repairman to show up today. Because it's going to be like 38 and oh. we don't have any heat. But it's going to be fine. I have blankets. I'm so sad for you right now. I was feeling <laughs> sad for me because uh, where I live, it has snowed. Uh, it is. They had a terrible snowstorm in North Dakota and like Western Minnesota, and it has finally like reached the Twin Cities. And it has not. It's not nearly as bad as it is out there. But I still uh, woke up this morning and saw snow on our porch on the ground and was uh, very very upset about it. But I'm not having heat is worse. So I am sorry about that. I mean, snow in October sounds like just unnatural. Um, yeah. How does any other go? Oh, I wanted to mention. So I have a hard time getting into new shows and watching more than one episode. However, because uh, I get very distracted. Um, but I've been watching Glow and I've been watching Killing Eve and they are both so good. And it's basically <laughs> all that I've been talking about on social media. I don't know if you've been noticing. <laughs> I have. I have. I have noticed that. They're just making me so happy. Okay. I just wanted to do a plug for both of those shows. Watch Glow. Killing Eve. I've heard not great things about season two, but I'm still going to watch it when it comes out on Hulu. Anyway, I love the that. end. Excellent. Uh, we have, I think, two pieces of follow-up from last episode. Um, the first is that um, we talked about the National Book Award longlist. Uh, that that goes from longlist to finalists super quick because the finalists are already out. Uh, and so there are five of them in nonfiction and five in fiction in their other categories too. Uh, but the five nonfiction finalists for the National Book Award are The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, Thick and Other Essays by Tressie McMillan-Cottom, 
uh, What You Have Heard is True by Carolyn Forche, The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee by David Truer, and Solitary by Albert Wood Fox with Leslie George. So uh, we'll know more about the winners of that, I think, in uh, November. So uh, it's coming. But National Book Award, one of my favorites. Uh, And then there was a book that we could not find the title to uh, that we were chatting about, and you have discovered it. Yes. So this was – Kim was talking about – well, maybe we both were – about how fun it is to hear people talk about books or things that they don't like, just like be complaining about things. Mm -hmm. Um, Not all the time, but, you know, sometimes. Sometimes. And I said that I had – there was a book that I had read years ago that was – that did exactly this. And I I finally found the title. It is 50 Works of English Literature We Could Do Without by Bridget Brophy, Michael Levy, and Charles Osborne. It came out in 1967. Um, This book is hilarious for a number of reasons. One of the interesting things about it is that they talk about books that they're like, these should be stricken from the canon. And one one of them is like Tom Brown's School Days, which I looked up and it came out in like 1857. And I was like, I have never heard of this book. So um, maybe their book did its job and they were right. got rid of it. I love that when we were trying to like come up with a title, you were like, I guess this 1967 book of essays. I, I remember that because I, I, I would not have gone there, I don't think. So I found it while browsing the library stacks uh, as an undergrad, and I cannot recommend doing that more. Just like walking around the stacks of the library, you will find the most interesting and weird books doing that. Nice. Um, and with that, our first sponsor for the episode is Playlist, The Rebels and Revolutionaries of Sound by James Rhodes and illustrated by Martin O'Neill from Candlewick Press. Um, so this book is an illustrated guide to a number of classical composers, which Kim and I were talking beforehand. We were like, wow, rebels and revolutionaries, you think of like the 1960s. But no, what James Rhodes does in this book, so he's a TV presenter and a classical pianist, and he walks you through how classical musicians and composers from, let's say, mostly like the 18th, 19th century, but also some, I believe, 20th century uh, figures were co- sort of the uh, the rock and roll figures of their day and how they um, affected this sort of like amazing transformation in society and like, you know, obviously with what people are hearing. Um, so you, it goes through their backstories, how each one shaped and defined classical music. Uh, it helps you learn about like the structure of an orchestra, the language of music, the history of musical periods with this like amazing artwork and avant-garde design, which um, is a really interesting thing to sort of pair with. Um, Yeah, illustrator Martin O'Neill, he does this artwork, which is this mix of collage, silkscreen and photographs. Um, And it's just, it's, it's a it's a stunning book. Um, so take a look at it. Playlist, The Rebels and Revolutionaries of Sound by James Rhodes, illustrated by Martin O'Neill. Thank you for sponsoring. Excellent. All right. So we will uh, shift gears into our first segment, which is uh, nonfiction in the news. Uh, And the first thing that I have to bring is actually um, an article that a listener sent to me because she knows how much I like nonviolent true crime. Uh, And so it's not nonfiction books exactly, but it is some good nonfiction reporting. Uh, And it's called The Peggy Show. She won athletes' hearts and robbed them blind. Uh, And it is a true crime piece from Sports Illustrated, actually. Uh, And so it's just this piece about a woman uh, who basically scammed a bunch of athletes and uh, like how she did that. Uh, And it's really, if you're a nonviolent true crime person, like it's really, really fascinating um, just kind of how she did it and what they know about her and um, everything like that. So I will just link to that one. It's kind of a fun read to share. I think that my favorite sort of nonviolent true crime thing is D.B. Cooper. 
So I'll like read yeah. anything about that. I mean, but like any any sort of you know good, I guess, scam artist story mm-hmm. is probably worthwhile. Um, my bit of follow up is the, or I guess not follow up, but nonfiction in the news uh, is the Carnegie Long List came out. So the Carnegie Awards are the only uh, book awards that are chosen by librarians, which is super awesome. The seal has a Pegasus on it. I'm a big fan. So the <laughs> nonfiction long list has a number of books that we have talked about here on For Real, um, including, let's see, The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, which, of course, again, is also a National Book Award a finalist. Um, Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee by um, Casey Sepp and Say nothing, which Kim you talked about last time. Uh, doing mm-hmm. the oh, you were actually reading it. I'm waiting on the audiobook. Yeah. Um, but that just sounds amazing. And then Invisible Women by Carolyn Criado Perez. A lot of these are Kim's picks, which I'm very impressed by. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Lastly, oh, one by that I picked: The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America from 1890 to the Present by David Troyer. Um, to check out the full list, um, just Google Carnegie Award. Uh, 2020. And then the finalists, there will be six total. So three fiction, three nonfiction will be announced on November 4th. Awesome. All right. So my other piece of like more newsy news is uh, it's a piece from Forbes and it is about how uh, Marie Kondo, who wrote The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, is uh, co-authoring a book on the workplace and it is called uh, Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life. Uh, And she is uh, writing this book in partnership with a guy named Scott Sosenshine, who is a, I think, a management professor who's previously written about um, workplace and stuff like that. So in an interview, Marie Kondo said, uh, in this book, you will learn practical tips tips for maintaining a tidy workspace, but also life-changing advice on finding a career that sparks joy for you. Uh, And so this book is going to be coming out in uh, 2020. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested because I find Marie Kondo really fascinating. Like I read all of her books and I watched her Netflix show and I just like find the whole tidying and decluttering and all of that super interesting. So I'm curious about like what a book that kind of brings some of those principles into the workplace might be like um because that is not necessarily like where i might have expected like she was gonna start writing next um so i'm i'm curious yeah i mean i'm i i don't consider myself a tidy person in the least and so <laughs> I, I feel a little bit like marie kondo's books are i'm just like a lost cause but um i am interested in organizing my work life so i'm excited about this one yeah, so we'll, I guess, know more about that in 2020. All right, so with that, uh, we will quick get to our second sponsor, a second sponsor, uh, which is Change is the Only Constant by Ben Orlin, which is out in hardcover from Black Dog and Leventhal. Uh, and so Ben Orlin is a popular blogger and author of Math with Bad Drawings. Uh, so this book is an engaging and eloquent exploration of the intersection between calculus and daily life, which has his sense of sly humor and his wonderfully bad drawings. Uh, so he is going to, the book includes 28 engaging math tales where he will show us that calculus is simply another language for things we grapple with every day. Things like love and risk and time and change. So change is the only constant unearths connections between calculus, art, and literature. Uh, it's not just math for the sake of math. It's math for the sake of becoming a more thoughtful human. Uh, and that actually sounds really fun because I actually took calculus in high school uh, basically because my mother told me I had to. Uh, and I was not amazing at it, but I also remember kind of enjoying like just that part of it. So I'm I'm curious about this one. Uh, so that is Change is the Only Constant by Ben Orlin. 
And uh, with that, we will shift gears into new books for this week, um, where we talk about books that are out recently, coming out soon, that we either have read and are excited about or just really looking forward to picking up when we get a chance to do that. So um, I'm going to switch the order and have you go first because I feel like I've been talking for a really long time. Um, own your power, Kim. However, uh, that is totally great. I am extremely excited to talk about my first pick for this week, which is Unashamed, Musings of a Fat Black Muslim by Leah Vernon. It's out October 15th from Beacon Press. Um, I love this book. It. I don't know what I expected from it, but it's just like Kim and I talked about we, we have a theme for new books this week, which is memoirs. So we're going to be talking about that. And I just the things you can do with the genre it can go so wrong but if you are have a good voice and you are able to tell your story in like with with that voice um and in this really compelling way then it's just it's oh it's like perfect. So Leah Vernon she grew up Muslim in Detroit, Michigan and she talks about like her early life with her single mother and you know with her siblings and growing up with um they all had different dads and what her relationship was like with her dad which was just like so hard and then her marriage at 19 which she wasn't expecting to have happen she thought she just wasn't going to get married and then it just kind of all of a sudden happened and her struggles with that marriage and then sort of coming into her own as she is now a fashion blogger and um her instagram is beautiful she's at l vernon 2000 and um she just has this really like honest great storytelling kind of voice and she talks about well basically like her struggles with her husband and how one of my themes for this week is is sort of how religion and uh not necessarily misogyny, but definitely how um, gender politics play into that. And she discusses that um, as it relates to Islam and how she saw it practiced in Detroit at the various mosques that she attended. And it's just it's just fascinating. And this window that I feel like we don't normally see necessarily, like I haven't read any other books talking about the Muslim community in Detroit. Um, and again, she's like, she's a person that you want to spend time with her voice. So, uh, check it out. It is out, I believe the day this podcast comes out. So just get it immediately. It is Unashamed Musings of a Fat Black Muslim by Leah Vernon. Oh my gosh. I pulled up her Instagram while you were talking and it is, it is amazing. Like she is gorgeous. And like the outfits she's wearing are just, they're so good. Yeah. Uh, It's like unreal. Yeah. And she just looks like Oh my gosh, I'm I'm in awe. I'm so excited. What a great pick. Um, yeah, so we sort of all we unintentionally chose four memoirs this week. We did not plan it that way. I think it was just the stuff that we were excited about. So um my first pick is um I think probably one of the more highly anticipated memoirs of the fall. Um and maybe that's just like in sort of the circles of people that I follow, but I've seen a lot of buzz about it coming up. So I was excited to get a chance to read it. Uh and that is How We Fight for Our Lives, a memoir by Sage Jones, which is out October 8th from Simon and Schuster. Uh and he Sage Jones is a poet, and I think this is his first memoir. Um, And it is a coming of age story about growing up black and gay in the South. And so he, um, 
yeah, he just he he tells the story in these really um like very specific and per- perfect vignettes, and so they're just little pieces from his childhood, and then pieces from college, and pieces from his relationship with his mother, and all of these other things. And he kind of will shift back and forth in time, but not really. Like it's generally chronological, kind of moving through these different experiences, and him kind of coming to understand his own sexuality, and then his sexuality in the context of being a black man, and then his sexuality in the context of growing up in the South. And going to this Southern college and all of those different things. And there, there was this quote, I think it was maybe in the back copy or somewhere early in the book that I just thought was really stunning. Um, and so he writes, people don't just happen. We sacrifice former versions of ourselves. We sacrifice the people who dared to raise us. The I, it seems, doesn't exist until we are able to say, I am no longer yours. Uh, and I... The thing I have really loved about this one, in addition to just like how the vignettes kind of work and how quickly you're able to just like move through this story, is that because he's a poet, every once in a while you come across this sentence that is just, it's just perfect. It is exactly right. Um, And I just love that because you just sort of stop for a second and think like, yes, this guy is a good writer. And I I love that. Um, So the writing is just like really evocative and honest. And he has this very clear voice about all of it. I sat down and read through like half of this in one sitting and then I had to go do something else. And I was really mad that I had to put it down because I just wanted to finish it because it's so great. Um, I will say like, there are, there are also parts of it that are hard to read because he, he writes about these choices that he makes um, that you just, they're just not, they're not safe or they're, he's, he's not doing them. And you think like, I wish that someone would tell you like, you don't have to do this or you don't have to be this way. Like you can make but those choices are a part of who he is and how he came to be. And so, you know, it's just, it can, it can be really like kind of visceral and hard to read in parts too, but I just, I've been so moved by it and so astonished by the writing. Um, I just, I'm really, it's really, really, really good. Um, so that is How We Fight for Our Lives, a memoir by Saeed Jones. I'm really glad you talked about that. Also, the cover looks like it's on fire, which is exciting. I know. Yeah, it's a great cover. Um, my other new pick for this week is Unfollow, a memoir of loving and leaving the Westboro Baptist Church by Megan Phelps Roper. It's out from FSG. When I got this in the mail from FSG, I was <laughs> extremely excited. Uh, the book itself, I think that both, so both of my picks, so uh, Unashamed by Leah Vernon and Unfollow this week, they're both the authors are so good. And it you don't realize how, um, I read a lot of like, you know, comedic memoirs um, from just like, I don't know, people who are funny. And they're, they're funny, but they don't always know how to write like a straight up book, you know, like in this mm-hmm. cohesive way. And it just, it makes you appreciate so much like the the power of like actually really good writing. And Megan Phelps Roper, it's so, it's so complicated, right? Because she comes from the Westboro Baptist Church, which is this uh, essentially hate group. Um, I believe uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled them as such. Um, they're out of Topeka, Kansas. They're the ones who protest soldiers' funerals and uh, have really hideous, horrible signs that um, they do. They do a lot of shock tactics in order to um, get attention for their church. And Megan Phelps Roper is the granddaughter of the founder uh, of it, who was Fred Phelps, who passed away in 2014. And this book is uh, essentially the story of her growing up in the Westboro Baptist Church and then leaving it, um, I think in 2012 was when she finally left. And 
it's a hard book. It, it's very good. It's hard because she walks you through kind of how it felt to be inside that community. And you can't help but identify with her because she is the narrator. And um, being gay myself, it's uh, parts of it were extremely difficult. They use a lot of hate speech. And it was difficult to read that over and over again. But I, I understand that, you know, she is she's telling you, like, this is how it was. This was our mentality behind it. We really thought that we were doing God's work. Um, her moment when she kind of she really did have it as like a moment of being like, oh, my gosh, what if we are completely wrong? And it's a really stunning moment. And she's just like she's in a basement of a friend's house, like painting. And this all like comes crashing together. Uh it's again, so it is very difficult. Her voice is very good. She's a very good writer. Um, it's if you feel at all uncomfortable about being in a place where you kind of are being asked to like maybe sympathize with Westboro Baptist, then I don't know. It's I think it's a tricky read for me to recommend again because it does use a lot of gay hate speech, but she is reporting on what they were doing. And this is just a fact of their thing. They really emphasize um, anti-gay messaging. Um, but all that being said, again, I think it's a stunning book. Um, I'm extremely glad that I read it. And just to get this window into how someone can change so much from being so ingrained in a community and a system. Um, one of the themes I wanted to touch on again from Unashamed to this is one of the shifts that made her finally leave the church was the exclusion of her mother, who had been a huge figure in Westboro Baptist and a spokesperson for the church. And this takeover by this group of men in the church who started calling themselves like the elders and every like the people had to appeal to them. And you, formerly all of the decisions in Westboro Baptist were made communally. And then it kind of just shifted this thing with the men and then talking to the women about how they had to change how they dressed and all this stuff. And it's so infuriating. And like both of these books in the Islamic community and in this um, Christian community, just this, gendered garbage of ex just like extreme sexism and patriarchy and it just oh my gosh it just makes you so mad reading about it and it makes you want to like donate money to like now or something but <laughs> or not them whoever your preferred group is <laughs> um but yeah no so it brings up a lot of feelings which i think um you know can of course be a, a very good thing because it can move you to action so again that is unfollow a memoir of loving and leaving the westboro baptist church by megan phelps roper excellent and when i saw on, on instagram i think that you got that one i was like dang i'm so jealous that book sounds like it's gonna be a really interesting read uh if nothing else yeah yeah, so um, my last pick for new books, I want to give a trigger warning for sexual assault before I talk about it, just as kind of a, I'm not going to talk about any of that explicitly, but that's really what the book is about, is at the center. So uh, the book is called Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl, a memoir by Jeannie Vanesco. It was out October 1st from Tin House Books. Um, and it is a memoir about uh, the author trying to kind of come to terms and understand a sexual assault that she experienced in high school or excuse me, in college. Uh, so when she was in college, she was assaulted by one of her very closest high school friends, uh, someone that she had been 
like a best friend, truly. Uh, and they went to, she came back home from college and they went to a party and they were both drinking and he sexually assaulted her. Uh, and so it, it ruined their friendship, but also like set her path, her set her life in kind of one trajectory. Uh, and so at the time she starts writing the book, it's 14 years later and she is trying to kind of come to terms with this experience. So she, what she decides to do is reach out to Mark and actually like interview and talk to him to try and like, understand how this thing could have happened and how a person who she trusted and cared for and was like a nice and good person could also do this terrible thing to her and sort of never really come to terms with that. Uh, And so the book opens with her. The book is super fascinating because she is like writing and thinking through the whole process of even doing this book as she's writing the book. And so the first chapters are about how she doesn't know if she should call him. And then if she does call him, what will she say? And how will she approach him? And how will she get him to understand? And should she even be contacting him about this in the first place? Because does his voice as the perpetrator even matter? And shouldn't this be a story about victims? And so she's just like writing and thinking through all of these really complicated conversations that we try to have about sexual assault and in kind of this whole movement we're in about um, redemption and consequences and all of that. And so she's she's grappling with all of them at the same time as she's trying to kind of understand her, her status as a victim and come to terms with the idea that she was raped and she was sexually assaulted and all of that. Um, and so I just found it so fascinating because it's You can see as she writes how she's thinking through it. And then after she does finally get Mark on the phone, she um, kind of transcribes the whole phone call that they have and then kind of gives you bits and pieces of it and then starts to pick it apart. And she talks about how she showed it to her friends and how they reacted to it and how they're trying to help her kind of process this experience. And so it's a very like intimate and thoughtful and um, thought provoking way of trying to grapple with an experience that is so difficult and so complicated. Um, So it's sort of, it's a memoir, but it's also a little bit true crime in that she's trying to kind of understand this thing that happened to her. Um, It's also about female friendships and the people that we connect to and look to support each other. Um, And I just, I am so fascinated by it. And every chapter, it just gets more complicated and more interesting. And um, she's writing about this experience without, in a way that I think is really kind of clear-eyed and also confused, uh, if that makes any sense. And I just, it's really very, it's really, it really is really good. Um, I'm very excited to get the rest of the way through it. So uh, that is Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl, a memoir by Jeannie Vanesco. Let's just all move to Themyscira from Wonder Woman. <laughs> I feel like that seems like the next logical step. Indeed. Indeed it does, I think. All right. So Yeah, that was four memoirs that are all like stunning and interesting and well written in their own ways. So I that was an interesting like kind of accidental theme we came up with there. Um, Yeah, so uh, we will shift gears now into our uh, second segment, which uh, this week we decided. I think we have done something like this before too uh, about uh, monsters and monstrosities and haunted things because it is uh, this will be coming out on October fifteenth, which is just before Halloween. So if you wanted to get in some spooky or haunted reads, uh, we've got a few suggestions for you. And so my first one is uh, I think probably my favorite book of the episode, uh, and because it, it's just like such a great read. Uh, it's called The Lady from the Black 
Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick by Mallory O'Meara. Um, this is a book that came out last year, I believe. Uh, and Publishers Weekly, uh, in the blurb on the cover, calls it a fascinating slice of Hollywood history with a feminist slant, which is exactly right. Um, so Mallory O'Meara is a screenwriter and she's a film producer um, who works in the horror movie industry, but she's always, like, even from when she was a kid, been fascinated by sort of the dark and the monsters and the horror and all of that in film. Uh, and so she uh, has admired the work of um, the, the um, technical work in Creature from the Black Lagoon for a really long time. Uh, and the monster in that movie was designed by a woman named Millicent Patrick. But uh, there is basically nothing known about Millicent Patrick. And I think I don't remember for sure, but I think she's not even really credited in the film with having done that. It's just like a thing who loved people, a thing that people who love that movie know about her. And so Mallory O'Meara decides that she's going to try and set out and like understand Millicent Patrick and figure out her role in Hollywood history. So um, the book is uh, about her kind of process of figuring that out. And so it's part memoir and she talks about like how she's reporting this out and how she, the kinds of people she's reaching out to and the things she's doing to try and understand this. Um, but it's also a really interesting kind of snapshot of Hollywood history because um, Millicent Patrick started out as um, one of the first female animators at Disney. So there's a whole couple of chapters about life at Disney and what the animation studios look like and the roles that women played there. Um, Millicent Patrick then went on to be like a background actress in a lot of movies and then also a model. And so there's some about that and what like film sets were like and like makeup and all of kind of that technical stuff of Hollywood becoming Hollywood. Um, and then eventually she gets to be a special effects person on this movie. And so the book goes there and then kind of explores what happened to her afterward because she kind of disappears from Hollywood after having participated or been part of this really um, successful and um, kind of long living movie. So uh, it's just really great. And I think the memoir kind of process of reporting works because a lot of Omira's uh, experience as a woman in Hollywood parallels or connects with the things that Melissa Patrick experienced when she was in Hollywood like many, many years ago, which is kind of depressing, but it's also kind of a fascinating the way those connections are happening. Um, and it's just like, it's so, it's so good. It's just like a super page turner. You can just kind of fly through it and getting this like slice of Hollywood history, but also like a slice into this really interesting woman's life and experiences being kind of on the edge of a lot of really famous stuff. So um, I think it's really fun and it's just been a nice it's been, a, as I've been reading all these uh, very intense memoirs, it's been kind of a nice flip through to just like get another kind of lighter, but also really interesting and um, thoughtful book about monsters. So that is The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick by Mallory O'Meara. And that's another book with a great cover. Yeah, the cover is real good. <laughs> it's like this like lime green, right? I just, yeah. Oh. It's really stunning. That's I've been meaning to read that since it came out. Um, I believe I have it on. I, <laughs> didn't we talk about this last week with my hold list at the library? Yeah, it's on my it's on my hold list. Um, I will someday get it. Okay. So, oh, speaking of books with the lime green cover, my next pick. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my segue. Um, my pick for uh, here be monsters is monsters. She wrote. The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction by Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson. I love books like this. So this is this came out this year. It's really recent. And it is uh, sort of part biography and part reader's guide. So it breaks down into like separate little chapters. All of these women, um, there's over 100 of them. 
who wrote horror or speculative fiction within the last, let's see, let's see, Margaret Cavendish is like 1600, so like 400 years, which is amazing. First of all, that that history even exists, and also that they have compiled it for you here in this wonderful little book. So it's essentially, if you're kind of like, I want to read more like women horror books or, you know, like just like interesting sort of vaguely sci-fi fantasy stuff from a long time ago, then this compiles all of it for you and tells you about the women and like what led to them writing these books in um, a really comprehensive biography. Like it's a couple pages of biography. And then it within that, we'll talk about their works. So this includes obviously Mary Shelley, whose book Frankenstein I am currently reading and Kim, we're going to have to talk about that <laughs> at some point because I uh, I feel like I have differing opinions from you, but I still, I still respect your love of Frankenstein. But anyway, so it talks about her and it talks about um, Margaret Cavendish who wrote this uh, – It's it's been called sci-fi. It's been called speculative um, work of fiction like 150 years before Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So we're talking about 1600s. Um, the reign of the Stuarts in England. And she's like writing this thing. Um, it's so cool. And then uh, they talked about Shirley Jackson because we come into the 20th century with things like The Haunting of Hill House, recently made into a Netflix series that um, diverges pretty far from the book, but that's fine. And then um, talks about women like Anne Radcliffe who did like horror and gothic uh, type fiction. And it's going to make you add to your TBR list so hard. You're going to be like, oh, oh, that book sounds really good because that's what I did. Um, it's awesome, again, as a reader's guide and to get more information on these excellent women from the last 400 years. Uh, again, that is Monster She Wrote, The Women Who Pioneered Horror and Speculative Fiction by Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson. Excellent. That sounds super good. Yeah, I remember seeing that and being like, oh, we should talk about this on the monster show because it, it looks awesome. And yeah, we can have a conversation another time about Frankenstein, uh, which I recognize as a problematic book in a lot of ways, but I find it really delightfully weird anyway. <laughs> It's just fine. Um, so I'm actually like throwing an audible because I had one book in our show notes. And then I remembered as you were talking this other book I read a long time ago that is actually a super good fit for this episode. And I don't know why I didn't think of it while I was prepping. So I am kind of flying off the seat of my pants to talk about this one because I read it a long time ago. But it was still really good. And I remember really liking it. So uh, this is go. exciting. What a twist. I know. I right. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I am very like into prepping for the episode. So like talking off of, you know, no notes is going to be a little awkward, but it's fine. I'm going to do it. So uh, the book is Monsters in America, Our Historical Obsession with the Hideous and the Haunting by W. Scott Poole, uh, which came out, I think, in 2013. Uh, and so this is a historical look at monsters in the United States and what the various monsters that we have been afraid of at different times say about kind of our cultural concerns and um, cultural interests at that time. So he looks at like the Salem witches. He looks at wilderness beasts of the frontier. He looks at freak shows. He looks at aliens. He looks at like movie stuff like Freddy Krueger. Uh, and so it it kind of is a history of the monsters that we have cared about, looking at the, the obsessions that helped create our national identity. So um, he is a his, uh, Scott Poole is a historian. So so his argument is really that like monsters are not just a thing that we 
are as individual a sphere, but we are, there are things that the kind of the public imagination brings together and they are reflective of the culture that we live in at the time. And so I did uh, anxiety about race or class or gender or sexuality or religious beliefs or science or politics will manifest in the kind of monsters that we are afraid of. So, um, you know, the idea of like mad scientists in the Victorian era or serial killers in the modern day are reflective of other things that are happening in our culture. And so he takes a look at like newspaper accounts, uh, archives, papers, comic books, films, and all these other things to try and look at the construction of monsters in the United States and how they reflect our cultural and um, societal kind of fears and anxieties at the time. So uh, it's super interesting to kind of look at monsters, I think, in that way and how they really are not just kind of creations of the thing. Um, Like Frankenstein is a great example of that, right? Like that monster is a reflection of a bunch of stuff that was happening around Mary Shelley and in the culture at that time. Uh, And so what do the way that we think about like Frankenstein, what does that tell us about the other things that people of that time were afraid of? And so he does that for monsters in the United States. Um, And I remember I read this one when it came out. Um, It's a little, a little on the academic side, perhaps, but it's still really readable and interesting. And just kind of looking at our history of monsters and things we're afraid of. So that is Monsters in America, Our Historical Obsession with the Hideous and the Haunting by Scott Poole. Oh my gosh, I'm really glad you talked about that. I know. I can't believe I didn't remember it when I was prepping. Like, what was I thinking? That is so interesting. Um, And kind of ties in with my other pick for this episode. So Yeah, I think so. That's extra exciting. Um, My other pick is also a pretty new book, and it's called The Science of Monsters, The Truth About Zombies, Witches, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Legendary Creatures by Meg Hafdahl and Kelly Florence. They are the hosts of the Horror Rewind podcast, which uh, is supposed to be very fun. I don't watch horror movies because they are scary. Mm-hmm. However, um, I appreciate uh, a good monster story that I can read on a page. So they, what they do with this is they're kind of like, okay, we love monster movies. Obviously, we host a horror podcast. So we're interested in um, – Well, because the title is The Science of Monsters, each one is really nicely packaged up. So you get something like, let me just think, oh, Jason from Friday the 13th or Mike Myers. They talk about how, you know, Mike Myers from the Halloween series and how he um, is a psychopath. (laughs) And they interview people in each chapter to kind of get more information from the science side. And they talk about, you talk to this doctor about, um, psychopathy that sounds like how you pronounce that word and they talk about um kind of the background of the movie halloween and the origin of the character mike myers so they always talk about like the origins of the characters in these different movies what they're based on if there's any scientific reality to it they do a fun like reported interview like they go out and they're kind of like breezy and chatty but also interested in facts which of course i am a big fan of um, so one of the, or a couple, I guess, of the questions they ask are, um, how would a zombie really decompose in Night of the Living Dead? Um, are there instances of shape-shifting in nature, like in The Wolfman? Um, oh, what is the science behind the night terrors that inspired the creation of Freddy Krueger? Which is, like, fascinating. Um, Freddy Krueger is horrifying. So... 
Oh, and then, of course, like, what is the psychological drive that compels cannibals like Hannibal Lecter? So it's really like almost any horror movie that you are probably familiar with, they go into it in some way. Um, it had lots of fun facts. Well, again, like scary facts, but fun. <laughs> and um, it's it's a very digestible, like pretty breezy book. So if you want to kind of either pick something up for, let's say you're doing a fall readathon. And you want to get through something quick, but also get some great info. Uh, recommend it for that. So again, that is The Science of Monsters, The Truth About Zombies, Witches, Werewolves, Vampires, and Other Legendary Creatures by Meg Hofdahl and Kelly Florence. Excellent. That's a really good one too. Yeah, like kind of a book about the history and culture of monsters, but then also the science that might have influenced that. Oh, fascinating. Well, it sounds like a good pairing, really, to be honest. Look at this, uh, these magical pairings that we have come up with. <laughs> Basically unplanned. We should just stop planning and just whatever. My, we will just, yeah, that's really funny. Like the show notes, like I have all these very detailed notes about things I want to say. And Alice is just like flying off and sounds so smart. So uh, I'm so impressed with you all the time. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we will close out the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Um, so I am going to talk about a book that I uh, finished recently that I really loved. And then I think maybe the next book I'm going to pick up. I haven't totally decided yet. But uh, the book that I am reading now, or I just finished reading, excuse me. Man, I just got like so distracted. So the book I just recently finished reading was called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, A Therapist, Her Therapist, and Our Lives Revealed by Lori Gottlieb. Uh, and this is a book about a woman who is a therapist out in California. Uh, and she goes through a breakup that she finds very traumatic uh, and is having a hard time processing it. And so she decides that she is going to go to therapy to try and work through that. So uh, the book is about her writing about her experience becoming a therapist and then the patients that she um, – uh, some patients that she sees that are either um, like kind of composites of other patients or she's done a good job of like kind of hiding their identities. And so they're they're real people, but they're kind of um, – tweaked people, I guess, in some ways. So anyway, so she shares their stories and uses their stories to talk about some of the, the techniques that therapists use and some of the um, ways that therapists go about doing their jobs. Uh, she talks about her experience going to therapy and how her, the therapist that she's seeing, does things differently. And so some of the things she learns from him and kind of the relationships that she develops with all of these different people. Uh, and it is, it is fascinating because it has all of this information about kind of like how therapy works, which I find very interesting interesting. But then also like the stories that she's telling about the people who are coming to see her, they're, they're so moving. Um, like the, the things that these people are carrying around and the things that she's trying to help them with are so, they're so moving. I, I cried a bunch of times near the end of the book as she um, kind of rounded out their stories or kind of got them to places where their stories could could kind of conclude for the book. Um, although, you know, like there's obviously way more that's going to happen after that. And I just, um, it was so great, like both moving and also like informational and interesting. So I, uh, I liked it a lot. So if you like ha are at all interested in therapy and how that works, I think this one is really fascinating. So that's maybe you should talk to someone, a therapist, her therapist, and our lives revealed. Uh, and then the book that I think I might pick up next is one that I got uh, a review copy of, uh, kind of a surprise. And this is a little bit of a galley brag, although it's a finished copy. So I guess it's not really a galley brag, but whatever. Um, and it is me by Elton John. So it's Elton John's new biograph biography that's out uh, at the end of this month, I think on the 29th, perhaps. Uh, I might be wrong about that. So someone will fact check me, I'm sure if I wasn't. But um, I got a copy of the book. And then I also got a copy of the audiobook, um, which is read by Taryn Edgerton, who is an actor and singer who played 
Elton John in Rocket Man, which came out earlier this year. Uh, but he's also been in uh, the Kingsman movies, which I really love. So um, I'm kind of curious about the audiobook version. I think that might be kind of fun. So uh, I've got the CD, so I might stick that in my car and listen to it on my commute for the next couple of weeks to see how it is. So uh, that is me, Elton John's new biography, out uh, sometime this month. Kim, that's so impressive that you're reading both of these books that seem um, both really good. Or I guess you're, wait, you're about to start the Elton John one. So yeah. no mm-hmm. no credit for that yet. But it is really cool that you got that <laughs> book in advance. I know, right? um, okay, so mine is a, uh, again, we're not a, a graphic nonfiction book. It's illustrated. I we I still don't know what to call these things, but it's fine. It's got pictures. So this is The Twilight Man, Rod Serling and the Birth of Television by Corin Shadmi. So this is a um a I guess again like not graphic memoir but graphic biography. Um of Rod Serling, the creator of The Twilight Zone. Um, it talks about his sort of rise to fame in the golden age of television uh, using pictures, which I really appreciate as a exhausted reader. And so it talks about kind of like his um, coming up, like becoming being a writer first, who's, you know, like trying to make a name for himself and then um, working to challenge censorship and racism and war. But then finally kind of being able to communicate those sorts of things to people using uh, aliens and monsters and weirdness that is the Twilight Zone. So he's just an interesting figure. Um, So I just started this one. I'm psyched about it, though. So again, that is The Twilight Man, Rod Serling, and The Birth of Television. That fits right in the theme, too. Excellent choice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hooray. (laughs) (laughs) Not even on purpose. Um, and with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you are feeling so inclined, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a rating and review. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. Uh, and while you're there, you can also subscribe so that you will get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Four Real Podcast. 